Yes, we're responsive this morning. This is good. Uh, my name is Jordan. Uh, for those of you who haven't gotten to chat yet or me, and uh, we, my wife Gabby and I and our daughter Nora have been coming around for probably the last four or five weeks or so, and we're super grateful. We actually just moved back to Arizona. Originally, I grew up in the Valley and most recently have been in Washington, D.C., uh, where I was a, a pastor at a church in New York City, D.C., and we were so grateful for our ministry there, but really just felt God calling us back to Phoenix. Um, felt God calling us back to this place, and so we're really grateful to be here. Uh, Luke is away at a conference. He calls it Nerdfest, and uh, he's excited to tell you guys about it. That's where he's at, and so he's asked uh, if I'd be willing to, to step in this morning and share it, and so I'm really grateful. So thank you guys for welcoming us. Uh, one, this morning welcoming me, but two, my family and I, um, we have felt so loved. And we felt so privileged to be here. The spring as a whole is a really special place for us. Um, spring was actually the first church that I was ever part of uh, in Tempe um, when I first came to Christ. And so I had never been a part of a church, showed up uh, in a family's living room. And really that began to frame what church was and what church could look like and what church um, was to be in the particular community that we're in. And so it's really fun for, for me to be here and to see this community as this community starting out. Um, Luke's been a friend of mine for probably 10 years now, um, and we've been praying for this and for you all. And as this was starting, uh, Gav and I have been praying for this community from D.C., and so to be here, is, it's, it's a really amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Um, so we're grateful. Um, thank you. Thank you for welcoming us in. We, we are just so, 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 so beyond appreciative and uh, excited to, to get to know all of you, excited to share um, this morning. I really think that God has something for us here, so... That being said, if you are just now joining us in our series, we're in a series titled Loved, Invited, Transformed. And essentially what we're doing is we are looking at the gospel of John together and particularly for the realities of the life that we are being invited into by God. And so last week, if you were with us, we finished up John chapter 6. And so if you guys could guess, today we're picking up in John chapter 7. And uh, this is actually going to be the only week we spend in John 7. And so we're kind of honing everything in. We're going to focus in on nine verses, but really we're really going to just focus in on two. Um, two verses that I think are incredibly, incredibly important. Uh, and so if, if you would just join me in that, we're going to lean into this moment. We're going to lean into this passage. Um, I think life comes from this passage. And it's important that we understand it and grasp it. So we're going to be in John 7. We're going to start in verse 31, and we are going to go through 39. And so uh, as we jump into our text today, I have a guiding question, and this is just something I want you to think about. I want you to process this as we're reading this text. And my question for us this morning is, are you living your life for God's blessing, or are you living your life from God's blessing? You say that again. Think about that. Are you living your life for God's blessing, or are you living your life from God's blessing? And we'll unpack that a little bit. We'll dissect that together, but let's jump in. This is John 7, starting at verse 31. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, when the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will search for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said, what does this man intend to go? Well, we will not find him. Does he intend to go to dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? 
What does he mean by saying, you will search for me and you will not find me? Where I am, you cannot come. 37. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now we said this about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. And so we have this proclamation that Jesus makes at this particular feast. And, and we receive it, and it has amazing, amazing, amazing uh, importance for us is what he's saying. And so what I want us to do to really appreciate Jesus' claim here is I want to start, I just want us to note the setting. I want us to know what's happening, kind of catch up to speed a little bit of what's going on. And the first part is that when we left off last week in John 6, we saw people who were leaving Jesus. And Luke was sharing with us that, that he was making these very radical claims to come and to follow him. And then after that, these people were saying, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I'm all in. I'm not sure I want to do all of these things. And so people started to leave. And we get to John chapter 7 here, and we see the exact opposite happening. People are beginning to come back to Jesus. They're beginning to flock to Jesus. They're beginning to believe in Jesus, that he is who he said he was. And then they're beginning to put their trust in Jesus. And we get him, and it says that he is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you know anything about this, there's three important feasts in the Jewish calendar. The first is Passover, the second Pentecost, and the third this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was generally the most joyous feast uh, and festival that they had, and it was also the most popular of the three. And originally the feast was a harvest celebration, but in the time of Jesus, it had also taken on this significance, and it was this time to remember God's provision for the people of Israel. That while they were in the wilderness, he provided manna to, to, to fulfill their hunger and their needs, and he provided water from the rock to provide for their thirst and to provide for them in every way. And so this was this great remembrance of this moment. And during Jesus' time at the feast, what would happen then is that a priest would have this golden pitcher of water, and he would process down uh, the middle of everything that was happening, and then the water was poured out at the base of an altar. And as they poured the water out, what this was doing is essentially it was pointing out that the Holy Spirit was to come, that the Holy Spirit was to be poured out, and that it was uh, predicted by Isaiah. And so this is this enacting of this, the remembrance of this, and then Jesus makes this claim. Right? You guys tracking with me? So all of this is happening. John wants us to see that Jesus himself is the fulfillment in its entirety of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Paul, he tells us that, that Jesus is the rock that supplied Israel with water in the barren desert. We saw last week in John 6 that Jesus was the bread of life. That he fulfilled the hunger, that he represented the fullness of the manna that was given to the people of Israel. And right here in John 7 this week, we see Jesus make this uh, a massive, massive claim as well. He says, on the great day, he stood up and he said this last great thing and he says it very personally and Jesus claims to be the source of living water for all to come to him and to drink. In other words, Jesus fulfills all that this feast symbolizes. 
And since Jesus could not remain in uh, the flesh, he promised to send his spirit to dwell with his disciples forever. He promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to all, and he does it so under the simplest conditions. And that's what we receive today. The spirit is coming for you, and I do so with the simplest conditions. And so I find it important to point out to us as well, so we we have this setting, we understand what's happening, what's going on. Um, As this text is spoken, the very last piece of it says that that the Spirit had not been existent. Now, that's not to say the Spirit wasn't existing, but the Spirit was still operating as if it was in the Old Testament times. And in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was much different, right? It fell on specific people at specific times and specific places to do very, very specific things. So it's not that it wasn't existing, it just operated differently. And we get to this point, and Jesus says, here it comes, and it's for all. It's simple. The condition is simple. It is for all, and it is to be poured out for all. And so as we read this, we realize that we are reading a pre-resurrection text as a post-resurrection people. And so we receive this, and we recognize that there are so much more in this passage for us than we could ever imagine. He's saying that that he wants us to experience through the Holy Spirit a life being filled with rivers of living water flowing, to experience life the way that God has intended us to do so. And the best news is the invitation through the resurrection of Christ is now available to each and every single one of us. He says, come, drink. It is available to you to fill your life, to fill you up, and to flow out of your life to others as well. Available. And it seems amazing, right? It's incredible. It's too good to be true. Here's the thing, though. It's not always that easy, is it? It doesn't always feel that easy. It often doesn't feel as simple as the call really is, does it? I wish it did, but it often doesn't. We read Jesus' words here, and he promises that from the innermost being of the one who simply believes in him, that there will be flowing rivers of living water. And it makes us stop and ask, to what extent is that true of me? To what extent is that true of my life? Since I've trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior, has it been my experience that ever-flowing, abundant rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit has gushed up inside of me and flowed out of me. And if that's so, if you're in this room this morning, you said, that is my experience, awesome. I'm so, so glad. But if I had to guess, the majority of us in this room, myself included, that has not been my experience. And I imagine for a lot of us, that hasn't really been our experience, at least not all of the time either. I have experiences of it here and there, but Jesus has been inviting us in for here and there. He's inviting us in with everything that we are. So why? Why is it not as simple as Jesus extends it out to us? Why is it that, that, that something has happened, something has distorted it? And I think A.W. Tozer really hits it on the head with this. He says this, Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster makes a person dear to God. Let me say that again. Religion has accepted the monstrous heresy that noise, size, activity, and bluster makes a person dear to God. God. This is the heresy that our worth in the kingdom of God is determined by our public outcomes and our recognition of the desired spheres of influence that we all have in our lives. 
the heresy, as we break it down into be more simple as this. It's the belief that what we do makes us dear to God. And we live in this American culture where we have this obsession with outcomes. We have these obsessions with winning, and we take this simple invitation and we complicate it, and we complicate it, and we complicate it, and we let the cultural space that we currently live in in America begin to form the way that we then approach Christ and the way that we approach formation. And we take this idea, we take this mindset, and we move it into the way that we view God. That what we do makes us dear to God, which couldn't be any further from the truth, could it? When I was 17 years old, I heard the gospel for the first time. Um, I hadn't heard anything about Jesus literally my entire life, except for negative things. And so I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And I remember going and, and hearing the gospel, and I was blown away um, by everything that I heard everything that I could be able to receive, everything that I could be able to bring into my life, blown away by scriptures like this, of the things that I was being invited into, the transformation that my life was being invited into. And I was so excited. I uh, responded to the gospel. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I remember being just so pumped up that I wanted to tell everybody about God. I couldn't hold it in. I wanted to witness to everyone who would listen and even those who would not listen. And so I went and I went and I went and I pushed as hard as I possibly could. And I got so caught up in doing things for God that I didn't really end up spending any time with God. And it just tore me apart. And I did thing after thing after thing in this some sort of attempt that maybe if I just did one more thing, if I did enough, that somehow some way I would escape this hole that I had been digging myself into, but I just kept getting buried and buried and buried and pressed down by the weight uh, of everything else that was happening around me. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what to, what, what to do in this time. But something in my life needed to shift. Something needed to happen. And the fact of it is, most of us in this room have probably found ourselves in that place at one point or another, right? And we go, and we go, and we go, and we do, and we do, and we do. And the fact of it is, y'all, formation isn't passive. It is an active process. And if we are not active in our formation in Christ, then we are actively being formed by everything else that surrounds us. We're being actively formed by our culture. We're being actively formed by everything else that moves in on our lives, that surrounds us. And what ends up happening is that we take this uh, formation approach to God that, that is completely designed around this American dream, this, uh, if I do these things, then I should receive some sort of an outcome, right? And so what ends up happening is we, we develop this uh, sort of algorithm for God. We develop this uh, mindset of, if I do enough, then God will bless me. If I do these things, then God will bless me. If I do it again and again and again, then God will bless me. And we have this, this idea that what we do makes us dear to God, and it creeps in, and it destroys our life of faith, and it moves us into this place of absolute emptiness and frustration and difficulty. Because it wasn't how it was intended to be. And, and what ends up happening is, is that, that we reduce God down to this formula, and we make God not God. We make God human. We make God understandable. We make God something palatable because we want so badly to be able to know that we are going to receive for the things that we do, but that's not what it is about, right? And that's what brings us to my question today that I shared with us at the very beginning. Are you living your life for God's blessing or are you living your life from God's blessing? So I want to unpack this. And if this if I, then God, formulaic approach to life in Christ is an example 
of, of living for God's blessing. So I want you to all try it with me, right? Think about a sponge. Everybody knows what a sponge is? Yes, a sponge. <laughs> what does a sponge do? It absorbs, that's right. This is good. <laughs> we all know what a sponge does, right? <laughs> and think about your life as a sponge, right? You have to squeeze the sponge, put it in water, and then all of a sudden, it fills up. And the water's in the sponge. And what happens if I were to squeeze the sponge again? Right? Water flows out. When we're living a life uh, for God's blessing, what we end up doing is we have this moment where we surrender our life to Christ. The sponge is now filled up. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything is absolutely soaked and saturated in God's goodness. And all of a sudden, we begin to squeeze. And squeeze. And we squeeze. And we think, if I just squeeze harder, that maybe, just maybe, somehow, it's going to fill back up. But that's not how a sponge works, is it? No. What happens when you squeeze the sponge harder and harder and harder? The water comes out. More liquid comes out. It does something. <laughs> More liquid comes out over and over and over again. And we get ourselves to this mentality in our life of where I'm going to go. I really um, want to receive God's blessing in my life. And so if I squeeze harder and drop by drop by drop by drop, we begin to empty ourselves out in our own power, in our own striving, in our own struggle. And we're wringing out the sponge, and it begins to drop by drop by drop, empty us. And we come to this place where ultimately we will have nothing more because we keep tighter and tighter and tighter, squeezing our life, doing things for God with this expectation of God responding back to us instead of just receiving what God already has in store for us. And ultimately... The more we squeeze, the drier it gets, the more crusty it gets on the outside. And, and at the end of the day, it really just becomes this barren, desert, empty, by itself, and we're crushed. That's what living life for God's blessing looks like. And we can come to church and we can sing songs like Christ one. We say when striving cease, but ultimately at the end of the day, we're so conditioned to strive and to strive and to strive. And so we squeeze and we squeeze until we are empty. And God says, I want to flip that script. I want to do something different in your life. I don't want you to live for my blessing, but instead I want you to live from my blessing. So back to the sponge. You put the sponge in water. The sponge begins to soften. The water begins to come in. The spirit in your life begins to flow in your life. You begin to be filled with these rivers of living water that, that we're being told about here in this scripture. And what happens after the sponge uh, is taken out of a pool of water? What's the first thing that happens usually? Water pours from it, right? Because there's too much, it's too saturated, it's too surrounded by what it is, and so it begins to pour out. It's not the sponge isn't doing what it's designed to do, it's doing exactly what it's designed to do, it's holding that water, but at the same time, it can only hold so much. And so then it begins to overflow. And it begins to touch everything else that is around it, and it cleans it. <laughs> and it flows out. And we put it back in the water, and it flows out. We put it back in the water, and it flows out. And it's constantly living in this place of overflow, overflow, overflow. And that's God's design for your life. That's what God desires for your life. He says, when you live from my blessing, you're not trying to earn it. You're not trying to strive towards something, but you're simply embracing the identity that I've already professed over you, that I've already proclaimed over you, and allowing me to fill you up, to bless you, without you having to earn it. And that's what God is, right? God is grace. He shows up like that. He's, he's good. And he wants us to be filled with his goodness, with rivers of flowing water, with his Holy Spirit, not so that we might 
squeeze it all out of us, but so that we might continue to be filled up to then overflow and overflow and overflow and impact those around us who desperately need it, who are dry, dry, dry sponges. Those are the people that God wants us to be. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see this exemplified completely. What a life looks like living from God's blessing. The Father's blessing over Jesus' life doesn't come after he's done all these things. It comes before anything that he has done in ministry. And the Father looks down and he says, I am well pleased with you. I haven't done anything, but you're mine. And I care for you, and I love you, and I created you, and I designed you, and I designed you to live in this particular way, filled up to the spot of overflow. He exemplifies this completely. Look at the life of Jesus and say, I want to live more like you. He doesn't receive the Father's blessing because of everything that he's done. He receives it because he simply can. And God wants to. He lives from a proclaimed identity and the proclaimed identity that the Father shares over Jesus is the proclaimed identity that the Father shares over you as well. You haven't done anything, but I'm pleased with you. And I love you. And sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. Sometimes it's hard for us to operate from that, maybe because we don't really truly believe it, but it's true. And so if we're going to be a people who follow Jesus, who love Jesus, who want to live radical lives that reflect the life of Christ, we need to be a people who are living from God's blessing, not for God's blessing. And as I hear this question, as I'm answering this question, this has been convicting me all week, uh, I also know that there's immense hope in it as well. It's convicting because none of us, if we're honest, can say, uh, yes, that nails it, right? Rivers of living water filled with the Holy Spirit, that is exactly what my life since becoming a Christian has been like. And it forces me to say, well, usually it's not really done like that, right? Then maybe it's been a trickle. Maybe it's been a drop. Maybe some seasons of our life has been this, just this drop by drop by drop, or even it's been barren. Maybe sometimes you're like, it's not quite a river, but it's like a creek flowing, not super strong, but it's there, and it's growing, and that's great. But it would be a stretch to describe uh, my Christian life like that. And so Jesus' words convict me. Knowing what he's called me to, his words convict me. And so what we need to do here is we receive this call from Jesus as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this moment where he says, it's coming, and it's for you, and it's here, and we know as a post-resurrection people that it's arrived is to press in towards Jesus' promise to all, that we would have hope in the future that we receive in Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work of salvation in us will carry it on till its completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But when we are uh, filled in our lives with the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water would fill us up and would flow out of us and that we would receive the blessing of God and we would let that outpouring from our lives be a blessing to those who surround us. That's the life he's calling us to. He says, come. Are you needy? Are you thirsty? Come. Drink. And so there's three things I want to talk about real quick and as we, as we kind of wrap our time up today. And these things that I want to focus on, we're just going to take step by step through the passage again, uh, maybe refocusing uh, our minds on the simplicity of this call on the simplicity of Jesus' call for us to live this 
spirit-filled life that fills up with rivers of living water and overflows. Uh, and there's a way that we're breaking this down. This simple, simple, simple call uh, is, is the way that Dale Bruner does it. And Dale Bruner is this amazing, amazing um, theologian and writer and just this brilliant dude who has just blessed the church in some really incredible ways. And he breaks it down in these three steps. He says that Jesus makes this promise with the simplest condition. He says that Jesus extends to us the simplest invitation and that we can respond in the simplest act. And we overcomplicate. The call is simple. And so let's focus then on the simplicity of the call. So the first thing is that Jesus makes this promise with the simplest condition. His condition is this. You're thirsty? He doesn't say if, if you're qualified enough, if you're surrendered enough, if you're deeply committed, if you have uh, just yielded everything in your life over. He says all you have to do is be needy. You thirsty? It's as simple as Jesus can make the condition. Is there a believer in Jesus who is not thirsty? No. Every single one of us should have that thirst, should crave this from Jesus. And the promise of the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' opening words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In short, the kingdom, like the Spirit, is for people who do not feel that they are worthy of him or it. Who know all too well that they are not good enough to deserve it or him. And who bring only one disposition, I need you, Lord. His offer is open to all. This is anyone. It's as broad as you can get. It's extended to Jesus' enemies who were trying to kill him. They could come and drink. It later extended to a man who described himself as the chief of sinners, the Apostle Paul. He could come and drink. By giving the offer at the temple, he extended it to religious Jews who had just come to Jerusalem from all over to celebrate this feast. And even though they were going through all of this prescribed Jewish rituals, those rituals could not save them. Religious observances cannot save anyone then or now. Everybody needs to come to Jesus and drink. Because the Spirit inspired John to record Jesus' words here, the offer extends to each and every single one of us. Whether you grew up in a Christian home, having always gone to church, or whether you are far from God today, the offer is for you. Come to Jesus and drink. Nobody is excluded. All are invited. Only one thing is needed. You must be thirsty. The simplest condition. And at first glance, being thirsty for God seems easy enough. But the problem is because of sin, people either don't recognize their thirst or they seek to satisfy it in every single wrong way. An evangelist once said the most difficult thing isn't getting people saved, but it's getting people lost. In other words, people don't uh, sense their desperate need for Christ. They don't feel thirsty for him. Instead, they try to quench their thirst with many wrong things. And they think that success, money, fame, sex, all these other things that will satisfy their inner thirst, but thirsting for things other than God and his glory is the root of all sin. What it flows from, that's what it comes from. And the beginning of all true Christianity is to discover that we are guilty, empty, needy, thirsty sinners. Until we know that we are lost, we are not in the way to be saved. The very first step towards heaven is to be thoroughly convinced that we deserve hell. 
And once you recognize your thirst for God, the good news is that the offer is a free gift. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to strive for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to clean up your life first to qualify for it. You just come. and thirsty. And then he extends us the simplest invitation. He says, please come here and drink. Drink away. And the confession of need is only a requirement for access. And it's the giver who pleads with us to enjoy. Drink. John's and the entire New Testament teachings on the filling of the Holy Spirit, they are all so, so, so simple. Any complication or qualifying of Jesus' one simple condition and sheer gift is just a sinning against the Holy Spirit, and we should avoid it entirely. He says, are you thirsty? Say yes. Please come and drink. This is the simplicity of the gospel. Um, have you ever found yourself saying, if you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated? You ever heard that? Right? Has it ever happened to you? Yes. <laughs> right? Hits you out of nowhere, and you think, wow, I'm, I'm really thirsty. It happens to my wife all the time, and she'll have a drink of water, and she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how thirsty I was. Wow, I'm really thirsty. Oh my gosh, I don't realize I'm drinking any water today. <laughs> and how often is that us, right? What happens is the, the, the brains uh, that we have are always a step behind, and it takes them a minute to catch up. And when we realize that we're thirsty, we've already been in need of water before we've even realized that as human beings. And according to Dr. Irvin uh, Solpas from Baylor University, the best thing that we can do to avoid this from happening is to drink plenty of water before any of the activities that we do to keep our bodies hydrated and prepared. In the same way that this happens in our physical life, the same thing needs to happen for our spiritual bodies as well. Jesus says, come those who are thirsty and drink, but we should be regularly coming so that we do not reach spiritual dehydration, so that we do not reach the point where we've been squeezed so tightly that we are absolutely empty. Don't wait until your mouth is dry. Don't wait until your saliva is thickened up. It's already too long since the last time you took a drink. Regularly come. Regularly take of the cup. Drink. Be hydrated and prepare for what is to come. Come and drink. Receive the living water. All you need to do is come and drink. He didn't say, if anyone is thirsty, keep striving, and eventually you'll receive water. He didn't say, if anyone is thirsty, let them join the church, get baptized, take communion, tithe, clean up your life, and attend church every Sunday. He simply said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. To come to Jesus is to come to the one who loved you so much that he gave everything for you. He came to earth, he suffered death on the cross to pay for our sins and was resurrected in his glory. If we believe in him, that is the drinking of the water. That is how we take it in. He says, you who believe in me, receive the living water that Jesus offers, come to him and drink. Simply believe in him. Make him your own by faith. Get to know him. Appropriate what he did on the cross for your sins in a river of running, living water through the desert will fill you. A river of living water in the desert does nothing if you don't take a drink from it. So Jesus says, come. Be thirsty. Drink. Be filled with the Spirit. And lastly, 
is that we can respond with the simplest fact. And the simplest fact is this. Trust me. The same simple verb that is used throughout the entire gospel for salvation, for eternal life, is now used in this same exact passage for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we should never turn the free gift of the Spirit into a rewarded work of a Christian. When we do this, we turn this uh, trust into an inner work of the person. We turn the gift into a trophy, and ultimately we ruin the gospel in its entirety. So simply trust. Come to me and live a life from this place of overflow. And the result of this invitation, should we accept it, should we respond it, is that Christ blesses us with abundant rivers of living water. He does. The rivers would fill us up and they would flow out of us to those who are thirsty. The world is a barren desert and people are dying of thirst. And you and I are to be filled with the Spirit, rivers of living water that these dying people need. And as they see Christ in us, the fruit of the Spirit, they would want to have that. We can tell them how to get that, to go to Jesus and to drink. And so my prayer for us and for our lives is very simple. It's this, Lord, fill me with your Spirit and flow out of me towards those who are thirsty. We would be picked up out of the water and we would be holding so much that we would only begin to just let go and that it would cover the world that is around us. And as you allow the rivers of living water to flow out of you to others, you'll discover that you're actually more filled than you were before. That's the key to preventing burnout in our lives, to be satisfied with Christ, to let his fullness flow through us and out to others. But here's the thing. Some of us in this room are like, I'm still not experiencing that. <laughs> I've tried that. I think I've tried that. I've tried walking through that. I'm not sure where I'm at. I'm not experiencing that. And so here is my encouragement to you this morning, and that's this. We are convicted by this text of what can be, and we are hopeful for what can be as well. It can be. It's not now or never. Uh, it's a long, ongoing process. As we are children, we are all taught to walk, and that is what God is calling us to do. He's not saying, fix it right now, do it right now, be filled right now in this moment, but learn to walk in step with me, in step with my spirit, so that we might, in fact, be built up, that we might be filled with water slowly but surely, entering into the process. Right? Walking is not a spectacular thing. He doesn't say fly. He doesn't say leap. He doesn't say run. He says walk. Step by step, enter the process. It's slow, and it will gradually get us to a place of filled and overflow. And that's where he wants us to be. And for those of us who are here today, and we say, I'm tired, I'm dry, I really want to be filled, I really want to be drenched in this life, I want you to hear these words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out in religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep coming with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God is inviting you into a life of overflow, transforming everything about the way that you operate so as to rely fully on him and not on yourself. So what do we do in response to Jesus' promise here? And the first thing as you leave today is that I would encourage you to honestly assess to the degree to which rivers of living water are flowing from your innermost being. Where are you at? What describes you? And if it doesn't describe you at all, then come to Jesus and drink 
be satisfied daily with the riches of Christ, receive God's blessing in your life and live from this place, accepting its truth, not trying to prove it. Walk by the Spirit and ask him to fill you each and every step. Church, are you thirsty? Come, drink. Shift doing for God to being with God and let life flow from this place. Embrace the truth that by the Holy Spirit, you are now blessed to be a blessing. And I'll leave you with the question that we opened up in this case. What would your life, what would you, um, what would your life look like and how would your life change if you were to live from God's blessing instead of for God's blessing? Pray with me. God, we thank you for the life that you have in store for us. And, and God, it is a simple, simple invitation and a simple condition and a simple response. You say, are you thirsty? God, we cry out to you this morning. We say, we are needy. We need you. We need you in our life, God. We need you to fill us up to the thought, God, where we just don't have to live in this place of of spiritual um, dryness and, and, God, the desert that we can get so stuck in by thinking we have to climb our way out and earn our way out, God. That you desire to meet us and you say, come, drink. Fill up on me and nothing else. Spend time with me. Be with me. And God, we pray that that would happen. Lord, would you fill us and would you overflow from our lives that we would live from your blessing and not for it? You've already given it to us, God. And you give it to us each and every single day. Lord, would you open our eyes to that, where that is? And would you, um, Father, just continue to form us to be more and more like you, Lord? Fill us up. In your name we pray.